The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 5 and read through verse 38. It's on page 827 if you're using the Bible underneath your chair, and if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke 21, starting in verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out of the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, This generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, 
lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, sister. Good job reading the word to us today. Sermon title this morning is, comes to us in a bit more of a command. And the command is just simply this, live in light of the end. If you were listening to the language that Jesus was using, he's talking about signs of the end. When will it be and what will it look like in the days leading up to his return? And what will be the signs which indicate that he is just about to return? But this is not just language for us as it relates to just some things we are to know so we can you know, go home and freak out and make big, long end times charts and all these sorts of things. But there's some overly practical things that Jesus lays on us of because we are living in the last days and there are signs that will be evident when the last day of Jesus coming back are going to be before us, there are practical ways to live. And Jesus has sprinkled those all throughout this morning. And so the main idea encompassing these words this morning from Jesus are this, the Savior's people are to live in light of the end of all things. In other words, because of what we know is coming, that is meant to inform your 2024, your Monday through Friday, your 8 to 5, your parenting, your work, and things of this nature. So what you're going to hear me do, we're going to dice up the text like this today. We're going to make two observations and then we're going to make applications. So we're going to divide the text, make two applications, and then our two observations, and then we're going to make some application just following Jesus and what he has for us this morning. So here's how I'm going to pray for you. I hope you have friends like this in your life. I received a text this morning from a fellow brother in Christ, fellow pastor. It's just been a little while since we've texted, and he just texted me this this morning, 634. He said, Jesus loves you, bro, period. And that was it. That was the text. No explanation, no reason, no rhyme, just out of the blue, just sent me a reminder that Jesus loves me, and it encouraged me to no end. And so following the lead of my fellow brother, I want to tell you, Jesus loves you, bro, and broette, I guess, I don't know what's the right feminine version of the word bro, sister, there you go, there you go, there you go, thank you, thanks for correcting me, sir. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. Uh, that you would see the love of Christ in the text today. Most of us are like, ah, end time stuff. Yeah, I guess it's confusing, these sorts of things. It's not something we naturally drift to, but Jesus is talking about it. Like he's three or four days away from being crucified, right? If you think about it, like when someone's about to die, you sort of like, what was the last man's request? What were their last words? And usually their last words are important things, typically, and so for Jesus to say, like, I've my, my days and my hours are few, uh, my words 
are going to be spent wisely for him to say it's important for his disciples to consider these last times, last days, end days things. We should go, okay, like if it was important for him to talk about it, it's probably important for us. But we don't always see why it's important. And so I want to pray for us that through the preaching of God's word today, we would come to see that Jesus is loving you, bro. He's loving you, sister. When he says what he says and calls us to live in light of these things. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray for us. My encouragement would be that you pray for yourself, that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see the love of Christ in this text. Open your mind to understand the words from this text, to see how much Jesus is shepherding you and the invitation that is there woven in between these words about the last days and the last day of his return, okay? So let's pray. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus, you do love us. And you love us enough to speak the truth to us. You love us enough to shepherd us. You love us enough to speak plainly about the days in which we live. You didn't leave us to try to figure this out on our own. You've loved us by shepherding us to see how much our needy hearts are so dependent upon you as we believers live in these last days. Father, would you make my words to be clear? Holy Spirit, would you wield the word of God as the sword that is in your hand? cutting and dicing like a surgeon, removing things that need to be removed in our lives, exposing areas that are sick that need the healing touch of Jesus. I cannot do these things in the lives of your people, Jesus, but the Spirit of God can. So we just ask that you, Holy Spirit, would do this. It's in your name that I pray these things, King Jesus. Amen. The kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about, you know that it's like it's a thing and it's a thing that we should think about when just like cultural things that we watch and read tap into sort of this like apocalyptic end times kind of realities. I mean, go on to whatever streaming service you want, the Netflixes and the Hulus and the Primes of the world, and you'll find more than enough evidence to show you that, that people are thinking about these kinds of things. Some of us have watched, and maybe we love this genre of movie making, that sort of apocalyptic, cataclysmic, end of the world, giant meteor hits the earth and a wave, like, right? Sort of heavens and earth just sort of coming unglued. And you realize that people think about these things because I think there's sort of like an inclination in our hearts and in our minds that the world that we live in sort of has a time stamp on it. That there's just, it's not going to be around forever. And when you're watching these kinds of movies where there's these cataclysmic, apocalyptic disasters about to destroy the earth, what we notice in those movies is that people 
in reaction to the kind of like end times things or ending news, people tend to self-divide into two categories. Um, they self-divide into those who are completely caught off guard and thus are entirely freaking out, as opposed to those who are prepared and because they were prepared, they are ready to take action in the midst of things seemingly coming unglued. And in those movies, what we tend to do is we tend to root for those individuals who were ready for the end. Now, in the movie, they tend to be couched as the crazy ones, right? Uh, like that crazy person, you know, the prepper, the one who was like, you know, hoarding all the stuff. But they're all of a sudden the hero <laughs> when things start to come unglued. And it can sort of be similar today, right, when Christians start talking about language like the things of this world are not going to be around forever. There is an end coming. There is going to be a timeline of history as we know it that comes to a conclusion on the last day when Christ returns. If you just go into work tomorrow and you start to use that language with your coworkers, you're probably going to be seen as the crazy prepper until it actually starts to happen. And then all of a sudden... People are going to be asking questions, and you see that language all throughout the Scriptures. And so, in the last days leading up to his crucifixion, um, maybe it's no surprise that Jesus turns to this very topic. He turns, as he was teaching in the temple, Luke says, about how people should live in light of the end of all things. How are we supposed to live? as followers of Jesus, as everyday disciples. You see, Jesus is going to warn about direct events in history. You're going to see that some of the language he uses have actually already been fulfilled in history through historical events. But then in the same breath, Jesus is going to keep talking, and you're going to see that some of the things he's talking about shoot right past his day and age, and right past first century events, and it's going to go ripping right past us and punch way out into the future, even future of us. Jesus is putting all of these things together, and he is simultaneously warning about direct events in history, and he is warning about events that have yet to come, even events future of you and me. But in it all, I want you to see this, that Jesus is highlighting various signs that are designed to be observed so that we, you and me, the Savior's people, everyday disciples, might not only be ready for his certain return. So he's going to say, when you see the signs, right, if you're cruising I-55 northbound and you start to see signs for Glenarm and you start to see signs for Auburn, you know that the end is near if the destination is Springfield. The signs give you a clue I'm rolling in the right direction, and something is moving ever closer to me. Same kind of language Jesus is going to use. There's signs that his certain return is drawing ever closer to our day. But these signs are also designed to help us be ready so that we can live our daily lives like Jesus is actually coming back. Because that's the temptation for you and me. And Jesus gets to it in his application at the very end of these words. He's going to use language that that day can sneak up on you and me and it can creep up on you and me because you and me can get numbed to the things of this world and forget and begin to live as forgetful ones 
that Jesus is actually coming back, and that means something for how you and I live in everyday life. And that's the shepherding point that Jesus is going to have for us in this text today. You see, you, me, Jesus' people, listen, we can have unshakable confidence in the present because we have certain assurance that with each passing day, our full and final redemption is drawing near. So Jesus speaking to these first century disciples, I mean, Jesus is speaking the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension hasn't even happened yet. So Jesus is looking at these these disciples right in front of him. He's saying, guys, what you need to know is this. There is a day coming where your full, your final redemption, it will just keep drawing nearer and nearer and nearer to you. And I want you to know that as you see these signs, these signs are meant to just increase within you the certain assurance that what I'm saying to you is just not me blowing smoke. It is happening. But when we see these signs coming our way, it's not an invitation to melt down, set your hair on fire, and go crazy. It's actually an invitation to come and be bold and courageous in your day because with each sign that you see, you can have the confidence that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is no liar. Jesus is telling the truth, and he can be trusted, and that is meant to stiffen the spine and to embolden you to go out into a world that is setting its hair on fire and losing its mind and needs to see bold and courageous Christians living in light of the certain assurance that Jesus is coming back. So, Here's the question. What signs has Jesus given us for our confidence and for our assurance? We see observation number one is we have this, the signs that the end of all things has already begun. Jesus is giving us signs here in Luke 21 that the end of all things has already begun. This here is little treasure number one for all those little ones who are taking notes in your notebooks. The end of all things has already begun. Notice that the stimulus for this teaching comes because there in verse 5, if you look in your copy of Scripture, that there were some speaking. I think this is meant to be probably disciples, people, crowd in the temple. Some were speaking of the temple, says Luke. And notice how they were speaking. They were talking about how the temple was adorned with noble stones and offerings. If you know your history, this would be right in the middle of King Herod building the Herodian temple complex. It was, many considered it to be one of the many uh, wonders of the ancient world, a magnificently beautiful and ornate architectural achievement. And they're sitting here looking at the woodwork and the stones and the overlaid gold on things, and they're like, this thing is phenomenal. It's our house of worship. This is for our God. But this leads Jesus to say, in the midst of them being enamored with these things, he says to them, verse 6, as for these things that you see, probably doing this, pointing around to the stonework and the overlaid gold and all these things, as for these things that you see in the temple here, what you need to know is that the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down, period. And this prompts them to ask, verse 7, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So there you go. They said, what are the signs? And so Jesus is going to begin to talk. They just opened the door for him to speak. But notice in very uh, 
typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't sprint right to the answer. And so Jesus is going to talk from verse 8 up to verse 20, and he's actually not going to answer their question until verse 20. And so he's going to take the opportunity to teach them about some signs that you should observe, and then he's finally going to get to their answer to their question down in verse 20. But notice that along the way, Jesus is going to speak like a funnel. He's going to start wide and he's going to go narrow. And Jesus is calling out signs as he goes wide to narrow, which indicate that with his crucifixion and that with his resurrection from the dead, the final period of history and God's plan of redemption has begun. And so what you need to know is that when you hear Jesus about to start talking here, what he's saying is this. He's building a category that when he goes to the cross, when he dies, when he's crucified, when he's buried, when he resurrects, and when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, this begins a category, an age of living, a new and final age that the Bible often refers to as the last days. And it's just a period where because in God's grand scheme of redemption, this is the hinge pin upon which all of this turns, but upon the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, we enter into this last day's age because the only thing that needs to happen next in the redemption plan is for Jesus to come back. Like that is the last stage and the last key event in the grand scheme of God's redemption plan. And so what Jesus is doing, saying, hey, you guys are in love with the temple. Let me tell you, this temple is going to be torn down. They're like, that's crazy because this thing is huge. This thing's ornate. We don't think that could ever happen. You're telling us it's going to happen. What are the signs? And Jesus says, I'm going to get to your answer down here. But what I'm going to do is take the opportunity you've presented me to be able to walk with you down the line to help you see that these things that are regarded to the temple, they're actually going to find their fulfillment in me and because of what I am and who I am this is bringing in a new age that's going to completely make the temple and its worship there obsolete Jesus is ushering in a new and final age where his resurrection victory over Satan sin and death means the gospel is now going to spread it's going to move outward from Jews to Gentiles to the ends of the earth and if you know Luke and you know Acts that's something that's really big for him this is a new and final age where the last event that's now left to take place is for Christ the King to return with power and glory. So Jesus says, let me lay some groundwork for you by saying, here's your signs. First, it's this, that there's going to be false saviors in this age. So upon his crucifixion, upon his resurrection, bringing in this last day's age, the end of all things, this age has begun. And how will you know? What are some signs? And he says this, what you'll need to know is when I leave, there's going to start to crop up all kinds of false saviors, pretenders, who are going to show up on the stage of history and say, don't listen to Jesus, listen to me. If you want salvation, listen to me. If you want to be saved from X, I'm the one who can do it, not Jesus, listen to me. False saviors are going to start popping up over and over. You can see this in verse 8. Do you see that there in your copy of Scripture? Jesus says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. There it is, false saviors. 
And they're going to have this message that the time is at hand. In other words, because I am here, the end of all things has come. But Jesus says, do not go after them. Ever since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there has been no shortage of false saviors who have come claiming to be Christ or to be a type of Christ. Jesus has already stated clearly back in Luke 17 that you will know when I come back. If you remember, he used that little word picture of like the midnight sky being lit up by flashes of lightning. Do you guys remember that back in Luke 17? He's talking about the kingdom. He says, as obvious as lightning flashes in a dark midnight sky, like when one bolt of lightning shoots through, it's just plainly obvious. Like, I know what I just saw. Jesus says, that's what my return is going to to be like. But also... It also means that you can then trust that when these false saviors show up, you don't need to go after them because they're just sort of doing things in their own little corners and sneaking around. But when I come, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be unmistakable. The Savior's people, you and I, who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, listen, we will know when the King arrives. You're going to know it. Here's a second sign that we have entered into this last day's age. There's going to be constant calamities, verses 10 and 11. This new and final age before Jesus' certain return, notice the language that Jesus begins to use in verses 9, 10, and 11. There's going to be wars, tumults, nation rising against nation, kingdom rising against kingdom, great earthquakes, famines, pestilences, terrors, great signs from heaven. But remember what Jesus says there at the end of verse 9. Do you see that? He says, these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And so what Jesus is saying is, when you see these signs, when you see wars and tumults and nations raging against nations and earthquakes and famines and pestilences and terrors and signs from heaven, all these things, this is not the sign that like tomorrow at noon I'm coming back. He says in verse 9, the end will not be at once. So these are not signs that the end is coming tomorrow at noon. These are just signs that we have entered into a new age and we are moving towards that day, but we're not quite there yet. Signs that we have entered into the new and final age of God's redemption plan. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says these things must first take place. But notice the third sign that he gives when he rolls into verse 12. He says, third, there will be persecution in this age. So notice how he walks into verse 12. Before all this, before all what? Before those calamities and before those pseudo-saviors begin to show up, he looks right at his disciples in the immediate moment of him talking back in his day. And he says, before all of these things begin to show up with regularity, what you need to know is that they, that is those hostile to me, are going to lay their hands on you and they're going to persecute you. So persecution is a sign that we are living in the last days. Increasing persecution, ongoing persecution. 
False saviors are going to come, says Jesus. Constant calamities are coming. But before all this, in the very immediate future, Jesus is looking at his own and he is talking to them and he's shepherding them by reminding them of what they've already heard him say is this, listen, you are going to face hostility and that hostility is going to just be ever increasing for those who follow me up until the day that I return. Persecution is a sign that we are living in what the Bible refers to as the last days. Everyday disciples were called to anticipate persecution from religious authorities, from governments, from families and family members, even from friends. Jesus says down there in verse 16 and 17 that hostility, hatred, and death are what are going to come the way of those who follow him. And he says, it's going to come for my name's sake. Being a follower of Jesus, who says, I am a Christian, I'm a miniature Christ. Christ is my Lord, my Savior, my King. That will be enough for many to be hated on the receiving end of hostility and put to death. And Jesus is simply telling his followers, these are signs that we are living in the new and final age before Christ's return. Now, he's rolling into verse 20, and he's going to give the last sign. It's starting here in verse 20 that he's going to go and begin to directly answer the question that was laid on him back in verse 7. And the last sign, he says, is this, or the last sign that he mentions here is this. It's the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem itself, the city in which Jesus is standing, in the temple complex where everyone is standing. Again, it's not until verse 20 that Jesus is answering the question in verse 7. To the disciples listening to Jesus, there are some who are enamored, completely in love with the temple complex, but it's going to be destroyed, and the sign of its demise is verse 20 when Jesus says, you guys are going to see Jerusalem, this city that we're in, surrounded by armies, and when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you need to know that its desolation is near, it being the city, and it being the temple. These things are coming they're going to be destroyed. And so when you go back in history from about the time that Jesus was talking, roughly 30 A.D., it wasn't until 70 A.D. when this future event that Jesus is referencing takes place, when the future Roman emperor Titus comes into Jerusalem, lays siege to Jerusalem, and utterly decimates the city along with the temple. And so even from where Jesus was standing, roughly 30, about 50 years later, this first sort of prophetic sign that we are living in the last age is going to be a very visible thing. It's going to be a very seen thing. It's going to be a very felt thing. I mean, if you just look at the language that Jesus is using, let those in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter into Jerusalem. Why? Because judgment is coming upon the city. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth, wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. What Jesus is just saying, guys, there's coming a day when, like the very first, like big, like neon light flashing sign 
that what I'm telling you is true is going to be this city and this temple utterly, utterly decimated. And it came true in 70 AD. First of many signs that we are in the last, the last days. So this is where we see Jesus talking. Jesus is referencing these things. Because of the cross and the resurrection, what we can now say is that sinners can go straight to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. The temple is no longer needed. What you just need to know is that Jesus is saying this will stand out as the first sign that we have entered into a new age is because of a key phrase there in verse 24 where Jesus says these things are going to take place until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's a phrase where Jesus is simply saying this, listen guys, I am a Jew and I've come to my own. And if you know the New Testament enough to know, many of Christ's own rejected him. And what he's saying is this sign that Jerusalem is crumbling and falling and the temple being destroyed, it's going to stand as the first sign that these last days have begun because these last days have begun means that the only next thing that needs to happen is for me to come back. But, and more importantly for many of us here, that these signs that the last days have begun means the Gentiles are going to be drawn in. And that the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a Jewish thing. For all of us non-Jews here, we should be rejoicing in our seats right now because this temple destruction actually means that non-Jewish men and women are going to be folded into the kingdom of God. And this is a very, very good thing. And so, because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, sinners can now just go straight to Jesus. They don't need to go to a geographic location, a temple in a city over in the, in the nation of Israel. Now, all of these things are signs that the end of all things, that is this new and final last days age of gospel advance has already begun. But notice that all of this still leaves unresolved the question of like, when is it going to end? <laughs> Jesus hasn't answered that question yet. He says these are signs that we're living in this age, but like when is like the, the end date, the final time stamp? Like what are going to be the signs that like it is just about to wrap up, that King Jesus is just about to come back? Are there any signs for that, Jesus? And he says there are. There are. My certain return is going to take place. And so as he picks back up in verse 25 and goes forward, He's giving us more signs, but it's more signs that the end of all things is here. That the end of all things is like coming. Like it could be tomorrow, like when you see these things happening. It's not far off. It's very, very near. And that's point number two. The signs that the end of all things is here. It's a little treasure number two. Look at verse 25. Jesus says this, and there will be signs. So there it is. You see that? What kind of signs? Signs in sun and moon and stars. Signs on the earth. The stress of nations. People in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Signs that our world is about to see Jesus. 
signs that we're about to see the sky rolled back like a scroll and to see the king of kings riding back and to come not as a baby in a manger, but like sword in mouth, tattoo on thigh, people fainting and foreboding because the king of kings is riding back to claim what is rightfully his. The signs that the Son of Man is coming in a cloud with power and great glory, according to verse 27, are signs that of this final cosmic turmoil when the created order just seems to be coming apart at the seams, ungluing itself. When you see those realities, then you need to know that the king is just about to come back. From our point in history where you and I stand, 2024, All that Jesus has spoken of in verses 5 through 24, some of them have happened in the past. Many of them are currently happening right now in our day because we are living in the last days. But there is a capital D day. The Bible calls it day of judgment. The Bible calls it the last day when Jesus comes back and it's done. It's wrapped up and it's over. And what Jesus is now saying is, that's what's coming, and that's what I'm talking about. These signs, this final cosmic turmoil, upheaval of just the created order, these signs, notice the language Jesus uses, they are going to be utterly unnerving. It's going to just freak people out. If you've ever been in an earthquake, has anyone here ever actually been like legit earthquake, like ground shaking under your feet, stuff rattling on walls? It's a little unnerving, isn't it? Because most of us operate with this assumption, when I get out of bed and I'm going to put my feet on the ground, like the terra firma outside, like there's a pretty, I live with this assumption, it's firm, it's solid, it isn't going anywhere. But then when an earthquake comes and you realize, man, even this thing that I take for granted as being firm can be broken, shaken, and it can bring destruction, magnify that by an infinite amount and add to it the waters and the waves and the seas and the sun and the moon, I mean, just cosmic turmoil It's going to be utterly unnerving. That's what Jesus says. These will bring global distress among the nations. This isn't just like, you know, a couple of people in Springfield who live on the dark web and write crazy things are saying this. This is the four corners of the earth. Nations globally distressed because every eye is going to see these things. Notice there's going to be this psychological dread as as people faint with fear and foreboding in a world that they took for granted as being always stable, always strong, always around, is seemingly coming unglued like almost literally underneath their feet. But notice that Jesus says, while the world is melting with fear, notice what the Savior's people can do. And this is so key in verse 28. If you are a Bible underliner, I would encourage you to underline this verse. Notice that while the world is melting with fear and fainting with foreboding, God's people can straighten up, raise their heads. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. The thing that we've been longing for forever is just about to come. We're going to see Jesus face to face. Faith is no longer going to be faith, but faith is going to turn into what? Sight. And so Jesus says this is meant to stiffen the back, put sort of like a rod of steel down your spine, and it's meant to drive you to be courageous in the moment because we don't have to fear the return of the king because we know the king as Savior. 
We know the king as merciful. We know the king as gracious. We know the king to be full of steadfast love towards those who are his own and those whom he has saved. So he says, listen, when you see these things coming unglued for my followers who are going to be alive during this time, straighten up, raise your heads, your redemption is drawing near. For those alive when Jesus returns, that will not be cause for cowardice but for courage because King Jesus is coming back and God's plan of full and final redemption is proving to be true like literally right before their very eyes. Then Jesus turns to that parable of the fig tree and Jesus just says these things that he's been talking about, these signs are obvious signs that the kingdom of God is near. And so it's just a simple parable. He says all of us, and this is perfect for us right now, we're hovering right on the edge of spring. And so Jesus says, imagine going outside these church doors and seeing a fig tree in the courtyard. It's barren in the wintertime, but when you start to see leaves forming on that fig tree, what, is, what do all of us know? Leaves are the precursor that summer is just about here. There's a season coming because summer can't get here until spring gets here, and the sign that spring is here are leaves. So when you see the signs, know that there is a thing that's just about to come right on the doorstep. And he says the fig tree parable is just perfect for these signs. When you see these things, see them as fig tree leaves, meaning that I am like summer. I'm just hanging right around the corner, about to smack you, where you go from 60 degrees and no humidity in central Illinois, then all of a sudden it's like 9,000 degrees, it's the face of the sun, and you're sweating 2,000 pounds every single day because of the humidity. He's like, we all know that's coming when you see, sp- when you see a leaf, but not a tree. You know that I'm about to come back. Listen to this. The promise from Jesus is that there is no way these things will not, not come to pass. I can't. They have to. They're going to. He says heaven and earth are going to pass away. The things that we assume will never pass away, they're going to pass away. But my words will not pass away. If you go out and ask the average person, what do you think is a more firm foundation to stand on? The ground underneath your feet or the words of Jesus? Most people would say the ground underneath my feet and not the words of Jesus. But Jesus says there's coming a day when everyone's going to flip their answer. When the ground underneath your feet proves to be not a firm foundation and everyone goes, oh no, like he really said what he meant and he meant what he said and I, and I wasn't prepared for that. Which is why Jesus then turns around and immediately goes right to application. And that's what you see in verse 34. Jesus is going to apply what this means for you and me. Because many of you are probably going, okay, great, I guess that was probably about 30, 35 minutes that are probably teetering on the brink of a waste of time. I mean, I've got work tomorrow, I've got problems, like my family life is in turmoil, my neighbor has cancer, my dad is going nuts, like my marriage is on the rocks, like I have no clue what any of this even means for me. Like I've got doubts, I'm struck, like most of us are probably writing in our journal, who cares, exclamation mark. That's maybe a legitimate way to think about this, but notice that Jesus counters you on that point. When he says, don't approach these things with an okay, great, so what, who cares kind of attitude, maybe we have a measure of thankfulness to Jesus because he's loving us enough to give us the signs, but we're all struggling with that question, what does this mean for you and me tomorrow morning when I go to work and when I'm parenting my child or whatever? You're probably asking the question, how do I live in light of the end of all things? And that's point number three for us this morning. Jesus answers this question, how do I live in light of the end of all things? 
If you're asking this so what type of question, you've got good news coming your way because Jesus has sprinkled several answers throughout. We're going to dial in on just a very, very few. Here is how you live according to the certain return of Jesus. Verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, don't be fooled and don't be afraid. Don't be fooled and don't be afraid. If you go back and look at the language Jesus was using in verses 8 and 9 with those false saviors showing up, what happens is a lot of the times when those false saviors show up, if we're not being wise and we're not being discerning, we begin to believe them. And we begin to believe their messages of doom. So in other words, it really matters who you listen to. It really matters who you watch. It really matters what you pump into your eyes. It really matters who you believe. It really matters what news source. And there's extremes on both ends. Fox News and CNN and everything in between, they have their issues. They are trying to pump fear into your heart and trying to get you to believe all kinds of things that are opposed to Christ. The books you read are trying to pump things into your life to get you to believe things other than Christ. There's podcasts you can listen to, streaming services with shows that you can watch that are attempting to pump fear into your life to get you to come and rest on something other than Christ. Jesus says, when the false saviors show up, don't be fooled. And don't be fooled because the way they paint and pander to you is, don't you see how everything is just going to hell in a handbasket? You need to be afraid right now. But Jesus says, when you see these signs, I'm just telling, you knew they were coming. I told you so. So when you actually see the signs, and then when you see your news feeds of choice tell you, hey, you should see the signs and be afraid, what you need to do is go, no, I'm going to be the signs and I'm going to take great courage. I'm going to see the signs and I'm going to stiffen my back and I'm going to take and see these signs and walk out my door and I'm going to go not with cowardice and fear, but I'm going to go with courage and boldness. Why? Because Jesus already told me these things are coming and I, this ain't catching me. It might be news to CNN and Fox, but it ain't news to me because Jesus has already been pumping this news out for 2,000 years. So I can walk out the door and I don't have to be fooled and I don't have to be afraid in regard to these things. I can seek the things that are above where Christ is. I can set my mind on things that are above, not on things on this earth. I don't have to be afraid of these signs because they are just simply proving that Jesus knew what he was talking about and they're proving that his word is true. So, application, that we're living in the last days and that there is a last day coming is you, follower of Jesus, can get up and walk out of here not with a spine made of the consistency of a wet spaghetti noodle, but you can go out stiffened, not because you're full of bravado and full of self and full of me and I and these sorts of things, but you can get up and go, man, I'm taking the gospel to my neighbor. I'm going to stand and be bold for Christ. I'm going to have that conversation with that person. I can stand on the solid rock of Jesus, and I don't have to be like a limp noodle. I can go out with courage and not cowardice. I don't have to be fooled. I don't have to be afraid. Second, what does Jesus say? Jesus says this, you can go out and boldly bear witness to Jesus. Boldly bear witness to me. Notice that buried right there in the middle of all that uh, persecution language, 
Jesus says, guys, here's a sign. They're going to lay hands on you, persecute you, deliver you up. You're going to be brought before kings. You're going to be brought before governors, even parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They're going to deliver you up. Some are going to put you to death. You're definitely going to be hated by many, if not all, for my name's sake. But smushed right in the middle. And he says, but guess what? This is ground zero perfect opportunity to talk about me. (laughs) Some of us have been in those scenarios, yes? Where your witness for Jesus sort of got you on the hot seat with your friends or got you on the hot seat at Thanksgiving when Uncle Don is talking about how we should all be freaked out because he's been watching these things on the news and you sort of just go like, yeah, I don't know. And then you insert Jesus and then all of a sudden it's like the spotlight's on you and things just feel really hot. And the next thing you know, like your names are sort of conspicuously, maybe not so conspicuously, gets dropped off the family text thread and then you're not there anymore. And then like people are having, you know barbecue over at Tom's house, but hey, I never got the invite, and like, I'm Tom's son, you know, like, what's going on? Like, why is he leaving me? Some of us have been there before. Why? It's because of the persecution that just comes from being a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus with your whole heart will fetch the hostility of the world, but this will be your opportunity to bear witness, says Jesus. In those moments, notice the promise language Jesus gives, the promise that when persecution comes, It's going to be an opportunity to declare Jesus. This will be your opportunity to bear witness, he says. Then notice he gives the promise that he will provide us the words to speak Jesus. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Some of you have experienced this before. Your friend sort of like lays a zinger on you. And the Holy Spirit goes, just kicks the door open. I mean, it is ground zero. It is bear witness time, and you're on. And you open your mouth, and you don't just drool on yourself, but you open your mouth, and you actually speak a word that is wise and a word that is convicting, and then the conversation gets done. You're like, where on earth did that come from? Anyone ever been there before in that scenario? Yeah? Jesus says, that's what I promised you would do. I'd bear, help you to bear witness for me. And notice the promise of preservation there in verses 18 and 19. Not a hair of your head will perish, and you're just sort of scratching your head. You're like, but I'm pretty sure they just lost their head back in verse 16. They're going to put you to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus is just using um, like metaphorical language to say, remember, remember this. Despite what the hostile may do to your body, They cannot ever destroy your soul. There's brothers and sisters in this world today who have found that to be true. Stood up for Jesus in a nation or in a country or in a culture where Christianity is so hated that they were put to death. When they closed their eyes in death, they opened their eyes to see that my hostile enemies did destroy my body, but they could never destroy my soul. And that is meant to be fuel for us to realize that we can get on with bold and courageous gospel proclamation, trusting that whatever we might face in this age, it will never, ever even come close to threatening all that God has achieved for us in eternity. And that sort of stiffens the spine to go out and be like, man, that person might slam the door on my face, or I might get bumped off the family text thread, but like whatever might come my way, it's, it can't thre- threaten the eternal life that I found in Jesus. Lastly, notice this. He just says, watch and pray. That's right application on how to live in light of these things. Watch and pray, verses 34 to 36. 
Jesus has now said several times throughout these uh, past weeks and past chapters that there will be a delay between his ascension. So remember, Jesus crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, then ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus has taught there is going to be a delay between me ascending into heaven and me returning. But then he reminds us here again that one of the greatest enemies which can keep you and which can keep me from living our daily lives in light of Jesus' certain return is a lack of watchfulness. And so Jesus says what? Watch yourselves, verse 34. Verse 36, stay awake at all times. Watchful for what? He gives you the answer right there. I don't want your heart to be weighed down, so watch out for these heart-weighing-down realities. Dissipation, drunkenness, the cares of life. Dissipation. Who knows what that word even means, right? So you're like, okay, I'm already strike one out of three. Dissipation is just a fancy word that means uh, overindulgence. So beware over overindulgence. Drunkenness explains itself. We know what that is talking about. The cares of this life, what is Jesus talking about there? The cares of this life, it's not like Jesus is saying, listen, man, like if you get up tomorrow morning and go, man, I need to go to work because I need to make a paycheck. I need to put clothes on the back of my kid and I need to keep the light bill on. That's a care that I have for life. I'm assuming many of us do. But Jesus isn't saying, like, saying, like, dude, you need to stop caring about light bills and clothes on the back of your kids. The cares of this life and the phrase what's wrapped up in there is not just these everyday felt needs we all have, but it's the excessive preoccupation with those everyday felt needs. And immediately, all of us all of a sudden know what Jesus is talking about. Many of us know what it's like to just get caught up in the over excessive, over-indulging preoccupation with everyday felt needs, where work is no longer just like God's kind gift to me to provide for my family, but all of a sudden I begin to wrap up my identity in work, and then I begin to love work, and then work becomes my idol, and then I start to see money not as a gift, but I begin to love money, and I begin to worship money, and then I begin to clamor and climb and my ambition becomes my God and then I start to run after these things. I don't care who I'm knocking down and I'm climbing the ladder and all of a sudden I'm buying a lot more stuff because I'm not just seeing money as a way to provide for my family but I want to have this little indulgence and I want to have this little indulgence and this little indulgences. Indulgences become overindulgences and then drunkenness often comes in with that and all of a sudden it's just easy to see how the good gifts of God become when not yielded to God, opportunities for our hearts to be weighed down. And I'm just telling you, when you wake up on Monday morning and you've overbought and you've overspent and you're in debt and you've got to do all these things, the last thing you're thinking about is Jesus coming back. And Jesus just says, I don't want your heart to be numbed with the anesthetic of the world. Fight by my power and my strength against that anesthetic. Be watchful, be prayerful, so that your hearts aren't weighed down 
but that your hearts are operating with that reality of, I've got one foot in the real world. I'm a dad. I've got bills to pay. I've got neighbors that I care for. I've got to put gas in the truck. Like, I've got a light bill that I need to do. But I've also got one foot as a Christian into this future reality that Jesus is coming back. And with both feet on those firm foundations, one on the promises of a certain return and one on the here and now reality, I'm going to seek by the power of Christ in me to walk in a way that is watchful and alert and prayerful. Notice what Jesus says. According to him, the sign of readiness for his return is a focus in prayer. So you can reverse that and say, if the general trajectory of the bulk of your life is prayerlessness, might be a good indicator that you have lost sight of the future return of Jesus. Do you see how that can go both ways? That's a challenging word for this pastor right here. I'm just assuming maybe it's challenging for you guys as well. Friends, hear this. We're done. Hear this. A needy heart exposed to its dependency is a praying heart. That comes from Paul Miller in his awesome book, A Praying Life. A needy heart exposed to its dependency is a praying heart. Please listen to me. If you've heard nothing else, listen to this. Because this is, I think, maybe the takeaway for many of us. If you just heard what I've just said as it relates to the application of these things, and you're like, oh no, man, I think some overindulgence and drunkenness and the cares of this life, there's a lack of watchfulness, there's a lack of awakeness, there's a lack of prayer for sure. Like, I'm not living boldly. I am afraid of these things that I see in the world. And then you're going, you know what, I probably just need to go up and bootstrap this a little bit more. I need to lean on self. I need to bite the bullet, grin and bear it, buckle down. You're not hearing the invitation of Jesus right now. And that's why I said what I just said, is that a needy heart exposed to its dependency is a praying heart. So if you're sitting here going, wow, God in his kindness through the words of his son just has exposed how needy I am for Jesus in my life. Like, I need him to help me fight fear. I need him to help me not walk in foolishness. I need him to help me be watchful. I need him to help me be alert. I need him to help me be prayerful. I need him to help me be bold. I need him. Then the invitation of Jesus isn't go figure out your need, and once you've sort of polished yourself up and put a little lipstick on the pig, come back to me. He's like, no, let the need of your heart expose how truly dependent you are on me and let that drive you in prayer right back on me. Do you see what what Jesus is saying here? It's basically the song we just sang, Charles. And yet not I, but Christ in me. If you're standing here going, you know what, I think it's, hmm, I could flip that a little bit. I'm going to go do this because of I and not with Christ beside me or in me. You're like, hmm? Let's, let's turn it back around. It's not I. Jesus isn't saying, go do it, Tom. Jesus is saying, is this exposing something in you? And all God's people said, amen. And then he says, come and cast yourself on me because I will give you what you need to walk forward in reliance on him. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you do shepherd us. Thank you for the way... 
that you do care for us. Thank you, Lord, that even through admittedly things that are like, man, it's just a hard struggle to grasp and wrap our mind around like the future return of Jesus. But like there are immediate things that we can grasp of like being watchful and being awake and being prayerful and being bold and not being afraid and not being foolish. Lord, just maybe one of these things, Holy Spirit, would you press into the hearts and the minds of people so that as we walk away from here, we would go knowing that there is one next best step that I can take in trusting my life to Jesus. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.